Well, you'll have to um, excuse my casual dress today, but I knew we were having a picnic, and it's hot outside, and y'all aren't in a tie either, so I thought, you know, well, <laughs> I'm not going to be a tie today because we're going to eat barbecue, and it's going to be really warm out there. So, my casual dress today. Uh, we are in a series where we are walking through the Lord's Prayer and, and what this means for us and, and what Jesus is talking about here in this section. And so today we continue our, our learning and we pray this prayer every week. We say this thing every single week. But lots of times we, uh, it becomes habit and we forget what we're praying. We don't tune in to what this means. So we're going through this and, and really breaking it down. Today we are... Asking the question, what sort of people are we going to be? And what sort of people is Jesus calling us to be through this prayer? The disciples came to Jesus and asked him, how should we pray? And Jesus said, this then is how you should pray. Say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is the word of God for us and all the people of God. So here we are. This week is so much about economics. It is about how we are going to live, about who we are going to be, about what sort of people are we going to be. Here, Jesus references this idea of give us our daily bread. This is a reference, a throwback back to the Exodus. And the Exodus to me is like the mortar of Scripture. It is everywhere, between every line, holding everything together. And so the Exodus event is strewn through the narrative, weaved through the narrative of all the people of Israel. And Jesus is indeed the new Moses leading the new Exodus out of bondage and into a land of freedom. Jesus taught them to pray by saying, give us our daily bread today. You see, this is a reference to when the Israelites were freed from Egypt and they were wandering in the desert. They, they prayed to the Lord, God, we have nothing to eat out of here. It is the desert. Literally, there is nothing to eat. And so God provided them manna. Now, manna is not a real word. It is a made-up word that the Israelites made up. It literally means, what is it? And so they called this stuff like we prayed for food and you gave us this. And God's like, well, it'll keep you alive. <laughs> remember, remember what grandma would you say when you were a kid? Well, I mean, you might not like it, but it'll keep you alive. And so this is sort of that. It says, this is manna. What is it? They didn't know. Apparently, it was some sort of like dew of something. It would rise up in the morning or fall down in the morning. And the Israelites would go out every morning and gather up what they needed for the day. But here was the catch about manna, which is pretty interesting. It, it had like a self-destruct mechanism within it. it. It was only good for one day, for like 24 hours. And so God told the people, you can only gather enough for what you can use for today. Because you can go out there and you can gather all that you want but for a week's worth or a month's worth. But you know what? Tomorrow when you wake up, it's going to be spoiled and you won't be able to use it anymore. So this idea that the Israelites were going to have to trust in God every single day. They would only have enough for today. This is about trust. This is about who we're going to trust 
are we willing to be the people who trust God enough to say, I'll trust God enough for today and pray and know that God will supply tomorrow? Oh, <laughs> like, oh yeah, we do that, don't we? We're, we're like that and until, um, until we're not. <laughs> and most of us are not most of the time, right? Because we got plans and, and we, we, we save. And, and like, I'm not saying it's bad to save. No, 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 no. I don't think it's bad to save at all. But we go in this space where we walk this very fine line, right? Between being responsible humans to being greedy humans. Of like, we're always walking on that line. And sometimes we're, we, we, we are willing to trust God enough to say, hey, I'll, I'll gather my daily bread. But sometimes when moments are hard and we get a little anxious and we get a little fearful about the future and, and what will it hold in our retirement and will there be enough, we begin to accumulate more and more because we are ultimately afraid of what the future will hold because when we are afraid of what the future will hold, ultimately we are afraid of who holds the future. And a little bit uncertain that God indeed does hold the future and God will indeed be good to us. And so we accumulate just a little bit more than we might need, right? I mean, I'm not talking to anybody in here. I know this is for, this is for the recording for other people who are going to listen online. You know, this is not for us, right? Here Jesus is saying, you're going to have to trust me every day. So when we pray this prayer, we pray, Lord, give us our daily Because as a few of us begin to accumulate and take more than we need, a lot more than we need, you know what that's going to mean? That's going to mean there's not enough for everybody else. We live in a world that there's enough for everybody's need, but not enough for everybody's greed. We live in a world where there is enough. We live in God's abundance. But the empire continues to tell us this dominant myth that the world is scarce. The world is, for, the world is for a scarcity, and you need to get as much as you can, as quick as you can. Jesus warns us against accumulation all the time. He tells this parable in saying, there was a certain farmer who had a great year. Who, his crops produced incredible yields. And so he asked himself, what am I going to do with all of this extra abundance? He decided that he would tear down his old barns and build newer barns to fill them up to the brim and this man was going to get very rich because in there, when there's years of abundance, but there's always years of drought. And when the years of drought come, he would sell his abundance to those who were desperate and in need for higher prices than they could afford. But this man, Jesus said, died in the night. And what was he going to do then? He couldn't take it with him. So the point of the parable was share when you have a chance to share. Be abundant. Be, be, be Share with abundance so that you can be that sort of people instead of the people who accumulate more and more. But from the time that we are born, the messages that we hear in our lives, in our commercials, in our world, in our businesses, in our countries, is there's not enough and there's not going to be enough. That is the message we hear all the time. And so we gather more than we need, don't we? I mean... What we need is probably about a basket this size, right? And we need for our daily bread and, and this abundance of bread in God's world, and we just need a few. But some of y'all, man, some of y'all, y'all's basket's like this, <laughs> right? 
And we're walking around like, I don't know. There's not enough in the world. There's not enough. And so I got to get mine. And um, anybody looking? No, no. <laughs> um, um, I'll take the table too. <laughs> I mean, this is how we live, isn't it, sometimes? Like we just, we're afraid that there's not going to be enough in the world. We're afraid that, that God's not going to be the type of God that God said God would be. And so we take more than we may need and we fill our huge baskets. But then comes along somebody who does have a genuine need and there's nothing left at the table for them. What sort of people are we going to be? Are we going to be people who live into the myth of the empire and we spend our lives gathering as much as we possibly can with disregard for anyone else in our lives? Or are we going to be the type of people who trust in God enough to say, I'm going to gather what I need so that there's, and ensure that there's enough for everybody else? We live in a world right now where we have increasing inequality, where the few are amassing immense wealth. And a lot of us in our world don't even have enough to survive on. I don't care about capitalism. I don't care. I do not worship capitalism. I worship God. And the God of justice says, make sure there's enough so that people won't suffer. To me, we have to be the people who say, doesn't matter what our economic system is. I'm not talking about capitalism or socialism. Like, they're all fine and dandy in theory, but they operate with people, and people are greedy. And so we must be the people who push back against the greed, who live in such a way with abundance of generosity. We are called to be the people who share. And sharing is a subversive act in an empire that says accumulate at all costs. We are that subversive people because we share what we have. When we have too much, we share it. That is why we give to church, but not only to church, but that's why we give to this and to give to that. And that is why we invite people over to say, hey, I fixed too much tonight. Y'all want to come over and have some? Hey, I fixed too much. I know that some of my neighbors are in need. Why don't we invite them over for dinner tonight? We are the people that are called to share. And this leads into the other piece. So, so we're called into that, be the people who share, but not only our bread, but also our forgiveness. Jesus says, when you pray, pray this way. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts. We, we pray every week trespasses, which is fine. I like the word debt a lot more because it is much closer to what Jesus was talking about here. Because we can tangibly define a debt, right? A trespass is a little bit more difficult to define. But here, Jesus says, give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts. Because some of us are living under the crippling forces of debt, aren't we? Now, so sometimes we get into debt and it's our own darn fault. 
Like, we didn't need that stuff, and we were just greedy, and we didn't have the money, and so we put it on the credit card, and, and like, oh, crap, I got to pay that back at 100,000% interest now. Crap. You know, my $12 that I spent that I didn't have is now 15000 Like, yes. Like, that's your fault forever trusting a credit card company. Don't ever do that. But, but sometimes... We get into debt that's not our fault. Sometimes our kid is sick and they have to go to the doctor and we're hit with a bill that is astronomical. And that debt hangs over our life and paralyzes us. Sometimes we get laid off from work and we got to go take a loan in order to pay the rent to feed our kids. It's not our fault fault, but we live in such a world where the systems of injustice are just waiting to prey upon us, and we get into this situation where we get into debt. In Jesus' day, the people knew what this debt was like. The Romans came in, and they charged astronomical amounts of taxes, and they lived in a desert, arid land, and sometimes there was drought And everybody was farmers or fishermen. Everybody lived off the produce of the land. And if there was a drought in the land, then that meant you weren't going to have any crops and you were going to have to go take out a loan. And if there was another drought the next year, that meant you were probably going to lose your farm. The people knew what debt was. Their lives had been crushed by it. Their lives had been paralyzed with it. And so this is a lament of prayer. God, God, would you forgive us our debts? Not against you. This is, this is not a, a, God, forgive us our sin against you. This is a very real, tangible, God, would you, would you cancel our debts? Would you make a way where, where our debts can be canceled? Would you make a way where the bottom line could be zero? Could you make a way somehow? that our debts would be gone, that we could live again, that our children could have a future. God, we pray. And so when we pray that on Sundays, we pray to God that we know so many, some of us in here are living in that sort of debt pressure. And so we pray, God, forgive us our debts. Make a way for us where there doesn't seem to be a way. Work in our debt collector's heart. But that is also part of the prayer, isn't it? Where in a society where many Christians are affluent and we pray this prayer, sometimes there are some of us in the room that own debt. This prayer is also for us. That if our owning debt is causing such a level of suffering in their life where they cannot live, where they cannot thrive, where they cannot flourish, where there are constant tears for them and their children, then our responsibility as followers of Jesus, as prayers of this prayer, is to figure out how we can release them from this debt. We are, in fact, Jubilee people. And Leviticus 25 is very clear that God instituted a system that said, Consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each of you is returned to your family property and to your own clan because your debts have been forgiven. This is a prayer of jubilee. 
And so we pray that prayer that our debts will be canceled, but we also hear that prayer so that if there are those in the community, our brothers and sisters who are being crushed under the weight of debt, if we have some responsibility in that, then we are to be the people that figure out how can we eliminate that? How can we help them to eliminate that? But all of us as brothers and sisters, if there are some of those in the community that are living under that sort of debt, it is all our responsibility to say, how can we help alleviate that? I've been talking about this. I I hope that that sometime soon we can establish a fund that we give to, that if there are those in in the church that are suffering from some sort of medical debt or or, or something that, some debt that is just unforeseen and not their fault, that that this would be a fund that we could say, hey, listen, we'll help this. We'll help you here. Because this is real in people's lives. And we need to be the type of people who share what we have so that others could have enough. Because many of us have more than enough. Now, I'm not saying we all got to move in and with each other. And, and like, I'm not saying that. I'm saying we just need to be people who share extravagantly. Who are so compassionate and love each other so much that said, hey, listen, we'll do without so that you can do with so that you can have enough, so your children could have a future, so you don't have to suffer. Then there's this line, the next one, and it's like, well, God, we, 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 we resonate with that. God, forgive us our debts. And forgive as we have forgiven our debtors. Ugh. Everybody likes Jesus until Jesus starts talking about forgiving those people that hurt you. And then we're all like, well, I, I, don't, I don't know about that. I don't know. Do you have the right translation? Is that really the Greek, what Jesus said? Like, yes, it is. I'm sorry. <laughs> Forgive those who own your debt. This would have been an extravagant prayer for the disciples to pray because they would have known what it's like for the Romans to come in and to swoop up, and, 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 and swoop up property, to be vultures, to, to prey on the weak, to say, oh, you're about to lose your land. I'll give you a loan. Oh, I'll take that off your hands. And to swoop up and to buy that debt and to know that they'll never get their property back. They just crushed your hopes. They just bought grandpa's farm that he'd given to you and a legacy of inheritance. And now they swooped in and bought it from you. And you'll never see it again. That debt is crushing your life and crushing your children's future. And we also pray, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors, those who have hurt us so deeply, those who have taken everything from us. We forgive you. Ah, That is so hard, isn't it? That is so hard and maybe one of the hardest things to forgive those who have hurt us. But that too is about trust. We want a reckoning, don't we, with those who have hurt us, those who have prayed prayed on us. We want vengeance. But the Bible says vengeance is God's and not ours. When we become a follower of Jesus, we relinquish our rights to vengeance and we say they are yours God and there will be justice 
There will be a reckoning, but I don't think that reckoning for those who have hurt us deeply, I don't think that is some sort of hell. I believe the reckoning will be that at the end of time, in the space of judgment, that in a way that they come to understand the way that they have hurt someone else and they feel the full weight of that suffering. And they realize maybe for the first time, oh my God, I didn't even know Reckoning is God's and not ours. Because if we hold on to that vengeance, then we will become exactly the sort of people that we do not want to become. When we give people the power over us to, to, to re-victimize us every day, Yes, there was a tragedy that happened. Yes, there was a wrong. We were wronged. We were hurt, deeply wounded. But when we continue to give that person the power over us to turn us into people who hate, who are bitter, then we've given them far too much power over us. The best thing, the most powerful thing we can do to someone who has hurt us is to look them square in the eye and to say, you have hurt me deeply, but I forgive you. I don't give you the power to dictate my future anymore. I release you from my need for vengeance. I give you to God. I forgive you. You can hurt me no more. I forgive you. May your life flourish. May God bless you. What sort of people are we going to be? Desmond Tutu was the Archbishop of South Africa during the ugly period of apartheid. In a space where white supremacy ruled and those with dark skin were considered lesser humans than those with light skin. And as they found themselves in this new space where he talked about, he's a little bit hard to understand, you got to listen to him for a little while, but then you get it. As they found themselves in this new freedom, in this new South Africa, they had a choice to make. Will we retaliate against the whites that hurt us so deeply? They decided no. There would be a path of reconciliation. And so they set up what was a committee of truth and reconciliation where they went through all the people who had been deeply hurt, wounded, killed, and brought injustice upon by white, the white community, and they told their stories. And it was about forgiveness. It was about creating a pathway forward where there could be forgiveness and where people who previously could not live together could now live together in a new society. And Desmond Tutu presided over that commission of truth and reconciliation. He says that they listened to over 25,000 testimonies, many years. And he talks about how crushed he was listening to these stories. But over and over again, once they gave the people the avenue to be heard and listened to, to tell their stories, what people chose so often was, I forgive you. I forgive you. You who have murdered my father, I forgive you. You who have burnt my house down, I forgive you. You who have beaten my children, I forgive you. 
I forgive you. He writes in his book, No Future Without Forgiveness, he writes about this um, word, Ubuntu. I've read this before, and, but I, it's one of those things where we should read once a year or once a day. It says, Ubuntu is very difficult to render into Western language. It speaks of the very essence of being human. When we want to give someone high praise, we say, uh, you un Ubuntu. Hey, so-and-so has Ubuntu. They are generous. You are hospitable. You are friendly and caring and compassionate. You share what you have. It is to say, my humanity is caught up in yours, bound up in yours. We belong in a bundle of life together. We say a person is a person through other persons. It is not, I think, therefore I am. It says, rather, I am human being because I belong, I participate, I share. A person with Ubuntu is open and available to others, affirming of others, does not feel threatened that others are able and good, for he or she has a proper self-assurance that comes from knowing that he or she belongs in a greater whole and is diminished when others are humiliated or diminished as well. When others are treated or tortured or oppressed, we are all brought down. Harmony, friendliness, community are great goods. Social harmony is for us sumun bunum, the greatest good. Anything that subverts that, that undermines this sought after good, is to be avoided like the plague. Anger, resentment, lust for revenge, even success through aggressive competition are corrosive to this good. To forgive is not just to be altruistic. It is the best form of self-interest. We dehumanize, what dehumanizes you, dehumanizes me. What if we lived like that? Understood that we were all connected, but even that person that has hurt us, we are connected to them. Their good is connected to our good. Our good is connected to their good. And the only pathway forward for our future is forgiveness, even to those who have taken So much from us. Living in unforgiveness is like living in a house, in a very small house, where where with the smell of burnt popcorn. I couldn't think of any worse smell. But you know, like the type of burnt popcorn where like the microwave caught on fire? Like that sort of burnt popcorn smell. Where where you're living in this smell every day and you just get used to it, but it smells so bad. Forgiveness is like opening up the windows and letting the fresh air swoop in. And you realize for the first time how bad it smelt in your house. You, oh, oh. you go outside and, you, and, you, and you, you smell that. And then you come back in and you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It, it did stink in here, didn't it? Forgiveness is like opening up the windows that fresh air may flow in. Today, who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to say, yes, you have hurt me, but I release you. May God bless you and keep you. May God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Who do you need to release from your vengeance today? This part of the prayer is ultimately about the type of people that we're going to be. Are we going to be generous people? 
seeking the best for those around us, seeing ourselves in an interconnected web of humanity where our goodness is caught up in someone else's goodness, where our flourishing is caught up in someone else's flourishing, or are we going to be the sort of people that isolate ourselves in our self-made silos and accumulate as much as we possibly can, even when that hurts our neighbor and doesn't leave enough for those around us? Will we be people who share? Who take just what we need and give as much as we can? What sort of people are we going to be? Are we going to be people who hold on to the need for vengeance? Who hold on to the need for judgment? That we are drawn down to the level of our oppressor? And we allow them the ultimate power over us. The power to dictate our future. What sort of people are we going to be? We be that sort of people who share in abundance and compassion not only what we have, but also our forgiveness. Today, who do you need to forgive? How do you need to be made whole through the power of forgiveness? Whose blessing do you need to seek today? As we go into communion where Jesus shares the bread of his body with us, may we be reminded of God's call for us to be the sort of people who give abundantly. Let's pray together. Lord God of heaven and earth, we give you thanks for the way that you have taught us to pray that reminds us as a sort of people that we are called to be. Lord, we give you thanks that your body was broken for us when we did not deserve it and we didn't even know that we needed it. Your body was broken to us and you give over and over and over to us. Lord, help us to be the sort of people that don't hang on to what we have with tight fists but open up our hearts and give freely. When we have more, let us let go of that. Help us to trust you for our futures, not to trust the stock market, not to trust our 401k, not to trust our financial planners, but to trust you for our futures. God, and help us to forgive, to do the hardest thing, to forgive those who have hurt us and caused us pain. We can't do it on our own, Lord. We don't have that sort of capacity in us. We need your power. We need your anointing. We need you to help us to forgive those who have hurt us. Lord, set us free today, we pray. Set us free to be the sort of people that live with joy, seeking even the blessing of our oppressor. Help us to be that sort of people, oh God. Heal us. Heal the world. And use us to do that healing, Lord, we pray. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.